Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. There are some things that I just don't understand. Now, for the sake of this sermon, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. Ask my wife, she would tell you. There's a lot of things Byron just doesn't understand. But there are some things that I just don't understand. And I want to share with you a couple of things that have been on my heart lately. First thing I don't understand is I don't understand The Bachelor. Like, I just, I just don't get it, right? I mean, you take one guy, you put him in a house with like 30 other beautiful women, and he dates and kisses and sleeps with all of them, and people are like, that's so romantic. Okay, no, that's not romantic, right? That is gross. That show should come with hand sanitizer. That's what that should. That show is gross. People are like, oh, but they're in love. Now, you know that if someone was to do that to you, you would not be in love. You would be in therapy. Like, that's where you would be. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. People are like, who is he going to choose? You know who he should choose? He should choose Jesus. That's who he should choose. And they should all choose Jesus because they all need Jesus. Personally, I just don't understand The Bachelor. The, the second thing I don't understand is I don't understand the Olympics. Like, I, I really don't. I know we've been doing it for like a really long time, but honestly, I don't understand the Olympics. Like, do we really have to pretend like we like sports every four years? Like, everybody's all of a sudden really interested in ribbon dancing? Like, I just don't get it. Like, they're like, ribbon dancing, that's not a sport. Trampoline is not a sport. Underwater basket weaving is not a sport. And then every four years, everybody gets all excited. Oh, it's the Olympics. You're going to watch the Olympics? No. You know why? Because those aren't sports. You're like, what? Really? No. Here's what a sport is. A sport is something you can die doing. Right? If you, if you could die doing it, that's a sport, like NASCAR or, <laughs> or a competitive hot dog eating contest. Now, if that was on the Olympics, you better believe I would be watching it. But nobody's going to die jumping on a trampoline and waving a ribbon, okay? I just don't understand why every four years we get all excited, because you weren't watching those sports between those four years. Like, you weren't watching the people with a big giant hockey puck and the broom doing this. Like, you didn't care. That's not a sport, that's a chore. My daughter does that around the house. Like, that, that's, that's the way it is. I, know, I just don't understand the Olympics. And the other thing that I understand is I don't understand America's fascination with royalty. Did you see who Prince Harry married? Meghan Markle. Oh, my God. It was so beautiful. It was so amazing. You know what? We fought a whole war not to care about who they marry. Like, last time I checked, that's the whole reason America was founded. And every time they do something across the pond, every tabloid and article and news report, all of a sudden I go to CVS and look, oh, there's, look what they're wearing. Did you know she's pregnant? She doesn't even look like she's pregnant. They're moving to Canada. Who cares? Right? I don't understand America's fascination with royalty. I mean, I can just hear Paul Revere in the back of my head. He's like, the British are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming, and she's wearing Vera Wang. I just don't understand America's fascination with royalty. And some of you, you're new and you're wondering, does he always do this? Yes. But... Does this have anything to do with the sermon? Is he going anywhere with this? Or is he just ranting with a microphone? Right, actually, this really does tie in with my sermon because there is a lot of people who have a fascination with royalty yet refuse to be ruled. 
Like in America, we have a fascination with royalty, but at the same time, we don't want anybody to rule over us. That's why when we were planning the beginning of our nation, we decided, no, we don't want a king. We're going to have a president. That way, if we don't like him, we can vote him out every four years. Like that's how our nation was founded because we love the idea of kings, but we don't really want a king. There is something inside all of us that longs for, aspires, and looks up to royalty. At the same time, we refuse to be ruled. This is why every Disney show is about a prince or a princess. This is why we watch documentaries and Netflix shows about kings and queens and empires and kingdoms. This is why we have entire series about games of thrones, which also, as a pastor, I just don't understand. But either way... We have a fascination with royalty, but we refuse to be ruled. My daughter Esther's son, she is three years old, and her favorite thing to do right now is to dress up like a princess. She has a fascination with royalty, and she will run around the house in a princess dress with the tiara on, and she loves pretending to be a princess. And it actually kind of broke my heart the other day, because for the last three years, every night we tuck her in bed, I pray over her, read the Jesus story of Bible with her. And then as I tuck her in nice and tight, I say, baby, you are my egg roll. And I tuck her in like a little egg roll. Now she's Korean, so it makes sense. So I tuck her in like a little egg roll. And the other day she said, daddy, I am not an egg roll. I said, oh, well, what are you then? She said, daddy, I am a princess. I said, Okay. Okay, you're, you're a princess because she has a fascination with royalty. Even at three years old, she is fascinated by royalty, yet she refuses to be ruled. Okay, a lot of us are like that. We love the idea of a king. We just don't want a king. Right, we love the idea of royalty, but we don't want anyone to rule over us. And that is what we're going to see happen in the text Today, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to see a great crowd, a group of people who love the idea of a king, but they don't want Jesus as their king. The sermon title today is Jesus is King. This is what theologians would call the triumphal entry. It's where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he reveals himself as king. And there's a group of people who are looking for a king but they don't want Jesus to be their king. And so we're gonna read it, and we're gonna ask this big question. Is Jesus your king? When you look at your life, is Jesus your king? Does Jesus rule and reign? Does he sit upon the throne of your heart? Do you long for Jesus as a king, or as we're gonna meet this group of people today, refuse to serve Jesus as your king? So the sermon title is Jesus is King. Picking up, we're going to read it all up front, and then I want to ask you three questions to help you determine whether or not Jesus is your king. Starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Let me pause right there. We're entering a brand new section in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, Jesus was in Jericho, but he is heading towards Jerusalem. This is the culmination of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Everything we've read so far in Mark is building to this point where Jesus comes and enters into Jerusalem. It's something really interesting. If you were to look at a map of Israel and the journey that Jesus is taking, you might notice that Jerusalem, Bethphage, and Bethany is backwards. 
If you were wanting to travel from Jericho to Jerusalem, you would actually go through Bethany to Bethphage and then into Jerusalem. And so on the surface, it looks like Mark has it a little bit backwards. But what Mark is trying to show us is that this is not just a historical journey. This is a spiritual journey that he's showing us and he is taking us and he is leading us on a spiritual journey. He is going from Jericho into Jerusalem, by the way, of Bethphage and of Bethany. Then Jesus arrives at the Mount of Olives and he is overlooking the city on Passover celebration with hundreds of thousands of people who would be in Jerusalem ready to worship and perform sacrifices. He takes a moment, he stops at the top of the Mount of Olives, then... We pick up in the story, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. That word colt is also a donkey, but not just a donkey, it's a baby donkey. It is a baby donkey that no one has ever sat on or rode on and Jesus says, go get me a donkey, untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Say this, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Verse four, and when they went away, they found a colt tied outside of the door on the street and someone asked them, what are you doing while untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. That's interesting, we'll talk about that. And they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks along the road. Others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed after, they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And verse 11, he entered into Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late, so he went out to Bethany with the 12. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus your king? When you consider your life, the choices that you choose and the decisions that you make and the way that you live, can you honestly say that Jesus is your king? Does Jesus rule and reign over your life? Does Jesus sit upon the throne of your heart? Is he the one who has authority? Is Jesus the king of your life or is he something else? Might I submit to you this, that either Jesus is king of all or Jesus is not king at all. Either he is king of all when it comes to your life to your decisions, to your choices. Either he is king of all or he is not king at all. You can't have it both ways. That you can't live with one foot in the kingdom of God and another foot in the kingdom of the world. Either he is king of all or he is not king at all. And what I've discovered is there are many people who love the idea of a king, but they don't wanna be ruled over by Jesus as a king. They don't want to submit under Jesus as their king. They love Jesus as a good man, but they don't see him as a king. They love Jesus as a great teacher, but they don't really believe in him as king. They love Jesus as a moral leader or a good example or just a good guy who did some great things, but they don't believe that Jesus is king. And either he is king of all or he is not king at all. And as we dive in, to this new section in the Gospel of Mark, what Mark really wants to show us is that Jesus is more than what we thought that he was. 
that Jesus is something greater. Jesus is something bigger. Jesus is more than we thought. Jesus is our king. See, so far in Mark, what we have seen is that Jesus is a healer. But Jesus is more than a healer. We've seen Jesus as a teacher. But Jesus is more than just a teacher. We've seen Jesus as one who casts out demons, but Jesus is more than one who casts out demons. We've seen him perform miracles, but Jesus is more than just a miracle worker. Jesus comes and Jesus is king. And so when you think about the gospel of Mark, I want you to think about Mark kind of like Google Earth, all right? You ever go to Google Earth and you look at, it starts off with a really big picture. And then as you zoom in and you focus in, everything becomes a little clearer and a little bit more clear until you're able to focus on and you're able to see it for the way that it really is. That's how Mark is. So Mark is divided in three sections. The first section is chapters one through eight, and that is the public ministry of Jesus. And it takes place in a period of three years, right? That's big Google Earth. And what Mark is showing us is all of the wonderful things that Jesus does. Most of the Sunday school Bible stories that you're familiar with, like the feeding the 5,000, walking on water, calming the storm, all of those stories that you love, they're basically found in Mark 1 through 8. And that is the big picture of Jesus. That's him as a healer. That's him as a teacher. That's him as a miracle worker. But Mark wants you to know that he is more than those things. Jesus is king. That's why if you remember back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the first words out of Jesus' mouth is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. All of the signs, all of the wonders are really showing you what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like that the king is here. So all the healings is really designed to show you that Jesus is king over sickness. All of the times Jesus casts out demons is really him showing, I have kingly authority over demonic powers and oppression in your life. Whenever he calms the storm, he is king over creation. This is why Abraham Kuyper says, there is not one square inch of the universe that Jesus does not declare mine. Everything we read and all the stories we love is really Mark showing us that Jesus is king. And then he zooms in a little bit closer and Mark 8 through 10 begins a section of the personal discipleship of Jesus with the 12 that he has chosen. He gets away from the crowds and he spends some time one-on-one with them because he is showing them what ethics looks like in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God impacts us in our life. That's why he talked to them about divorce and marriage and remarriage. That's why he talked to them about how we raise our kids. That's why he talked to them about how leaders in the church are supposed to behave. That's the reason he talked to them about wealth and health and finances and faith, because these are all things that you and me, we walk through and we go through and we need to understand what the kingdom of God looks like, not just out there, but in here. He's showing them he is the king and how we live and how we behave in this kingdom. And then three times in eight through 10, over a period of six months, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples as the king. And he says things like this. The son of man is going to be betrayed, crucified, dead, buried, and on the third day he will rise. And that the son of man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ransom for many. He is preparing their hearts for what comes next, what we are about to read when the king shows up. So the first section is Mark revealing Jesus as the coming king and what the kingdom looks like. And then it's 
the kingdom of God being revealed in your life and how we live, and now it's what the king does when the king arrives. And so Mark chapters 11 through 16 take place, not in three years, not in six months, but in about seven days. The final section of Mark takes place in a period of about one week. It's what we call Passion Week or Holy Week. It is the last week, the last days, the final days of Jesus. Mark devotes roughly one-third of the entire book to the last seven days. And some of you think, isn't that a little overkill? Like, why would he devote three and a half years to all of these other things and only seven days to this one thing? Do you know why? Because it's the most important thing, Jesus as king. And some people are wondering, are we really going to spend about 25 weeks just preaching over the Passion Week of Jesus? I mean, isn't that what Easter's for? Isn't that what Good Friday's for? Couldn't we cover that in just like one sermon, just knock it out and be done with it? And the reason why many of us think that is because we don't understand Jesus as king. See, a lot of us, we love the idea of Jesus as healer, but ah, Jesus as king is a little hard. We love the idea of Jesus as provider, but Jesus as king is a little difficult. We love the stories about him walking on water, but what about when he says, I am king? Well, that's a little tough. That's a little difficult because, well, he's a king. That means I actually have to do something if Jesus is my king. And a lot of times we don't understand Jesus as king, but Mark wants you to know he is more than you imagined. He is more than you thought. He is more because he is king. And so what I want to do is I want to show you with where we're heading for the rest of the gospel of Mark. Can you throw that slide up? And he's going to reveal to us what Jesus as king accomplishes in the last days of his life. So what we'll read is this. Today we're going to see Mark 11, 1 through 11. This is Sunday, or Palm Sunday, as many people come to know it as, where Jesus rides in, the triumphal entry, the king is here. People are waving palm branches. Jesus is on a donkey. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to talk all about that in just a moment. But that's on Sunday, Palm Sunday. And then tomorrow, or next week, we start on Monday. This is when Jesus walks into the temple, and he starts flipping over tables. Okay, Jesus is king, and some people don't want Jesus as king because sometimes he flips over tables in their life. So, so that's what happens on Monday. He gets in fights with the religious leaders and the rulers. There's questions over his authority. And then on Tuesday, what we see is Mark 13, where Jesus preaches a sermon on the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse or the Mini Apocalypse. This is Jesus' version of the book of Revelation, and it is amazing. And it's wars and rumors of wars. And it's what's going to happen at the end of times that the sun is going to be blotted out. The moon is going to turn to blood. There's going to be wailing and crying. And it's going to be incredible. So we're actually going to preach a whole five-week mini-sermon series over the end of the world. So get your raptor charts ready, because that's going to be pretty incredible. That's what happens on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, it's known as whenever Judas goes and betrays Jesus. So he goes and plots with the religious leaders to betray Jesus, and then Thursday comes along, and this is what is called Monday Thursday. It's where Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples, also known as the Last Supper. He institutes Holy Communion, and this is the reason that we take communion every single week here as a church. For us at Redemption, communion is kind of a big deal, and so we're going to be spending a couple of weeks walking through why communion matters and why Jesus gave us communion. 
And so we want to actually invite you to something that I think is really cool. I did it with some friends from mine in my community group last year, but we wanted to offer it to the entire church. So I partnered with my friends, Rabbi uh, David Stone. He is a messianic rabbi. He loves Jesus, but he's a traditional Jewish in his faith. And what we've just, what we determined to do is we want to hold a Passover Seder for the entire church. So we're going to do a traditional Jewish Passover Seder as a church. And Rabbi Stone is going to walk us through the Old Testament and the book of Exodus, and he's going to show us how Passover really points towards Jesus. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be announcing it this week. So go ahead, get ready to buy your tickets, make a plan. On Monday, Thursday this year, we're going to have a big Passover Seder celebration as a church. I want you guys to be a part of it because when you see it, then that's going to make communion come to life for you. When you see it and we start reading what's going to happen through Mark, you're going to see it with brand new eyes and you're going to get brand new insights to why Jesus went through what Jesus went through. And so that's what's going to happen on Thursday. Friday is the, the Jesus being arrested, the trial, the crucifixion of Jesus because the cross is for more than just Easter Sunday sermons. Amen. And so we're going to see Jesus and everything that he goes through as he's arrested, tried, betrayed, crucified, and we're going to see Jesus die. And then on Saturday, everything is silence. The disciples, they are weeping, they are crying, they are fearful, and they are afraid because, well, they didn't know that Sunday was coming. And then Sunday comes around, and Jesus rolls away the tomb. He rolls away the stone, and he stands up, and Jesus, as our resurrected Lord, Savior, Christ, reveals himself as king. That through the resurrection, it is the vindication of God that Jesus Christ is king, that he is king over Satan and demons and hell and darkness and sickness and disease, that he is king over creation, he is king over our lives, he is king over everything because Jesus is king. And Mark wants you to understand that Jesus Christ is king. And in your life, if he is not king of all, then he's not king at all. Is Jesus your king? When you look at your life and the decisions that you make, is Jesus your king? And I want to help you be able to answer that question. I want to help you determine the most important thing if Jesus is your king. And so in order to answer that question, we actually have to ask three other questions. The first question is this. Do you trust the king? Do you trust the king? When you're king, well, you're the king. What you say goes. Your word is your decree. Your word is the law because you're the king. Do you trust the king? Here, here's how it reads. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt or a baby donkey tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Great question. Say, the Lord has need of it. And he'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at the door in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they said what Jesus had told them to say and they let them go. Now, let's just be honest. How many of you ever find the Bible a little bit confusing? Anybody? 
Anybody? Okay, good. I was worried because I find the Bible confusing, and it's my job to preach it. So if I'm the only one who thinks it's confusing, we are in a lot of trouble. Right? Sometimes I, I realize that the Bible is confusing. Sometimes I read parts of the Bible, and I'm like, that's weird. Like, do you ever read the Bible and like, that doesn't make sense. That's, that's, that's weird. Right? This, this is weird. It is weird. If you read it, did you notice what I noticed? Because to me, it looks like Jesus just asked these guys to steal a donkey. Did anybody notice that? Hey, go find a donkey, untie it, and bring it back to me. Right? Jesus, that's called stealing. <laughs> Jesus just asked these guys to straight up steal a donkey. That's weird. So here's what I do. When I find something in the Bible is a little weird, I, I do something known as the lecto divinia. Hey, anybody know what that is? It's a big fancy word. Y'all want to sound smart for a moment? Let's say it all together. Lecto divinia. Okay, here's, here's what it means. You imagine yourself in the text. Hey, so you pick somebody in the Bible, in the story, and you close your eyes and you think, what would I do if I were them? How would I act? How would I behave? How would I respond? If this was me, what would I do? And so you pick a character, and you imagine yourself to be one of them. Now, do not pick Jesus, because you're not Jesus. Right? Jesus is the king. You're not the king. So don't pick Jesus, but anyone else. So here we see there are two disciples. So imagine yourself being one of those disciples. Let's actually practice this together, OK? Just close your eyes. We'll walk through it, and I'll teach you how to do the Lecto Divinium. So here you are. It's been three years you've been walking with Jesus. You've seen him do some incredible things. You've seen him preach, teach, heal. You've seen him perform miracles. But over the last six months, Jesus has been saying to you that he is going to die, that he's going to go to Jerusalem where he is going to suffer and give his life as a ransom for many. And this is Jesus. You're like, no, no, Jesus, you can't do that. That can't be your plan. But I've been listening to you, and I know we're heading to Jerusalem. And here we are. We're at Jerusalem. This is everything we've been building up to, everything we've been preparing ourselves for. And then we stop at the Mount of Olives, and we overlook. And all of a sudden, we see a great crowd of people. It's Passover. Hundreds of thousands of people are gathered together. The city is alive. It is filled with buzz and with noise. There's excitement. And you're on the Mount of Olives, and you're overlooking it. And you have this mix of anticipation and trepidation and worry and joy. What is Jesus going to do next? You're right there with him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to you and says, hey, can you do me a favor? What do you think? You're like, yes, Jesus, I will do anything for you. Yes, absolutely, Lord. I knew you had a plan. I knew you were going to do something great. I knew you weren't just going to come and die. I knew you had a miracle. I knew, what are we going to do? Are we going to feed somebody? Are we going to feed 5,000 people? Are we going to do a miracle? Jesus is going to be amazing. What do you want me to do? I will do anything for you, Jesus. You just tell me what you want me to do. Jesus says, you know what I really need? A donkey. You need a what? I need a donkey. Why do you need a donkey? Don't ask why. Just go get me a donkey. Well, where am I going to find a donkey? You see that town over there? There's one tied to a post. Just go get it and bring it to me. Uh, Jesus, that's called stealing. That's not my donkey. Jesus says, yeah, I know. I want you to go take their donkey, and I want you to bring it back to me. Jesus, this does not make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, what Jesus asked him to do. I mean, what am I going to do? Just go and grab the donkey? And what if somebody asks me, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Here's what you say. Tell them the Lord needs it. Because that, that's easy to do, right? 
Right? This would be the same thing as if you go out to your car today, and after service, someone is sitting in your car, and you're like, hey, what are you doing in my car? And they say, uh, the Lord told me to take your car. <laughs> ah, don't worry about it. Sounds good to me. It's crazy. I mean, what Jesus is asking them to do is crazy. This is grand theft donkery. That's what it is. This is redonkulous. Jesus is asking them to steal this guy's donkey. But you know what I've discovered? Is sometimes following Jesus doesn't make sense. Sometimes the Lord is going to ask you to do some things that you don't understand. And as a Christian, for the last 12 years, I've come to terms with this. And here's what I've realized is I don't need to know everything. You don't need to know everything. Do you know why? Because you're not the king. See, the king knows what he's doing. And if you're trying to figure everything out, you're going to miss it. If you want all the answers up front, you're going to miss it. Your job is not to argue with the king. Your job is not to question the king. Your job is to trust the king. And here's what I've discovered in my own life. When I try to be the king, it does not go well for me. Amen? Anybody else figure that out? When I try to be the king, it does not go well for me because I don't know everything. Jesus is king. There's something called omniscience. Do you know what that is? That is that God is all-knowing. Do you know why? Because he is the king. I flunked college from community college twice. I do not have the right to argue with the king. Right? I could not pass college algebra twice. Right? I do not have the right to argue with the king. And it's fascinating to me how many times I meet people who want to say, oh, well, you know, I mean, God, I just, you know, I just can't. Nope, doesn't make, doesn't make sense. You're not the king. And you know what? That's okay. I have learned that it is okay for me not to know everything because I am not the king. But here's what I have learned is after 12 years of reading my Bible, of following Jesus and trusting the king, he has never failed me. He has never disappointed me. He has never left me hanging. He has never given up on me. He has never abandoned me. He has never lied to me. He has never dis, dis, disregarded me. He has never misdirected me. That he is a king and he knows what he's doing and his word is good and his word is true and his word is what is best for my life. I may not understand everything, but that's okay because I am not the king. I may not know why I am where I am at, but I'm not the king. I may not know what I am doing, but I'm not the king. He knows what he's doing. I may not know why someone is in my life. I may not know why I am going through what I am going through. I may not know what I am going to do, but I know who he is, and I know that he is the king, and it's my job to trust him. Do you trust the king? The disciples think this is crazy. Jesus wants me to what? Steal a donkey? Okay, I'm gonna go take this guy's donkey. But see, what they didn't understand is, one, Jesus was not asking them to actually steal a donkey, okay? So some, some people are like really religious and they're like, did that pastor just say Jesus sinned? Oh my gosh, Jesus, you trying to say Jesus broke one of the 10 commandments? I can't go back to this church again. No, 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 it's called a joke. Okay, I know you've probably never heard one before, but it was a joke. 
Jesus doesn't actually ask them to steal a donkey. Commentators are split. Some people say that this was a miraculous display of the foreknowledge of Jesus, that maybe he manifested the donkey in the same way that God manifested a ram for Abraham and for Isaac. Some people say that. And then other people say that Jesus actually worked all this out beforehand. He just didn't tell the disciples. But either way, he was not stealing a donkey. What he was really doing is fulfilling a prophecy. Because some 550 years before Jesus was ever born, there was a prophet in the Old Testament named Zechariah. And he writes about the coming of the king. And you can know the king has come when you see this. Here's what Zechariah 9.9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O Jerusalem. Behold, your king, there he is, is coming to you. He is righteous and having salvation is he. And here's what you look for. He is humble and he is mounted on a, a donkey. Jesus comes in as the king and he comes riding in on a donkey. That's Jesus. But the disciples think this is crazy. But what Jesus really wants them to see is what you call crazy, he calls prophecy. What you think doesn't make sense is actually the unfolding plan of God in your life. When you see a donkey, Jesus sees destiny. I wonder how many times we've missed out on what God wants to do in our life because all we saw was a donkey. You want me to do what? I want you to trust me. How many times have you overlooked God's will and God's plan because you were unwilling to trust him? You say, uh, Jesus, uh, that's a donkey, right? I thought you were going to come riding in on a stallion. I was waiting for some great, big, glorious display in my life. And all of a sudden, here comes a, a little donkey that doesn't make any sense. And what you see as a donkey very may well be your destiny if you learn to trust him. See, sometimes following Jesus does not make sense. You know, it didn't make sense for my friends Andy and Holly that one night after years of infertility, she had a dream that said, go down front and let the elders of the church lay hands and anoint you with oil and pray and I will heal you. And she said, that does not make sense. And then she read her Bible and that's actually verbatim, James chapter 5. So the next day she comes down on a Sunday and they anoint her with oil and the very next week she was pregnant doesn't make sense, but it is destiny. What about people who, my friend who, they told me just the other day that they woke up in the middle of the night and God gave them a name and they began praying for that person here in our church and they messaged him and said, hey, I don't know, this sounds a little bit crazy, but I was praying for you and I just want to say that God loves you and God sees you. And they responded with, that means so much to me and I don't know how you knew. But I've been struggling in the last few weeks. I've been struggling with suicidal thoughts. And it might have felt crazy for that person to message someone else. But that was not crazy. That was prophecy. And that was God speaking and working through their lives. What you think is crazy. You want me to give them $100? What you don't know is they had to make a decision whether or not they were going to pay their gas bill or buy groceries for their kids. And God was using you. What you think was crazy was really an answer to prayer in someone else's life. What you see as a donkey is really destiny. What you see as crazy is an answer to prayers. What is your donkey in your life? What is that thing in your life that you're thinking, uh, is that God? It very may be, well be what God wants to do 
in your life. Redemption Church, you are my donkey. I did not want to plant this church. Truth be told, I didn't want to do it. Planting churches in Houston, planting churches in New York, that's awesome. We moved back home. We were going to save up a little bit of money, and we were going to pray. And we're like, God, where do you want us to go next? God, I will do anything. I will go everywhere. Where do you want me to go? God, I will go to Portland, Oregon for you. God, I will go to Oklahoma City for you. God, I will go to Los Angeles for you. God, where do you want me to go? And he said, Beaumont's. I said, that's a donkey. <laughs> but as I went and talked to the presbyter of the Assemblies of God, after we made that decision, he told me this. He said, Byron, you know what's really interesting is at the last presbytery meeting, we talked about how we did not have a church in downtown Beaumont, and we prayed that God would send someone to start a brand new church here. See, what you call a donkey, Jesus sees his destiny. What you call crazy very may well be an answer to prayers. So what is your donkey? What is that one thing that God is saying, hey, I'm speaking to you, and I want you to trust me in this? Maybe Maybe that is for you to join a community group. Maybe that's for you to lead a community group. You feel it, but you're afraid to step out and do it. You need to trust him in that. Maybe it's tithing. You've been trying to figure out, do I tithe? How do I tithe? How do I make this work? I want to be generous. You have to step out, and you just have to do it. You have to trust him. Maybe it is for you to answer a call towards pastoral ministry. You think, that's crazy. But hey, listen, if he can use a donkey, he can use you too. That's all pastoral ministry is. Whatever that is, whatever that step is, whatever that act of obedience is, trust him. You say, but I don't know everything. It's okay. You're not the king. And it's not your job to know everything. It's your job to trust him. Do you trust the king? Which leads to the second question. Do you worship the king? Like they have to trust the king. They go and they find the donkey. Someone says, what are you doing? They're like, the Lord needs it. They're like, okay, just bring it back with some gas, I guess. I had to get one more donkey joke in. I am sorry. As we move forward, the next question is, do you worship the king? And they brought the cult to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and they sat on it. And many spread their cloaks along the road, and others, they spread their leafy branches, and they cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed, they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. All of this is kingly language. So whenever they take off their cloaks, that is a sign of them submitting to a king. Whenever a king would come in and conquer over a city, the people would remove their cloaks, lay it on the ground, and say, you can walk all over me. That is a symbol of submission and surrender. So they remove their cloaks because the king, the king has come. And then they say they're waving their palm branches. Right? This is symbolic of Think about the stars and the stripes, or the flag. The palm branches was their version of the flag. It was a patriotic sign of their nationalistic pride as they're waving the palm branches. That is, that is kingly. And then it says, Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna literally means save us now. Save us now. They're crying out, and they're asking God to save them. This is symbolic of whenever an Psalms 89, I believe, whenever they cry out Hosanna as they're looking forward to their Savior. This is all just kingly language. And if you're a student of the Bible, it might remind you of King David. 
King David was the great king over the nation of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. He wrote the book of Psalm, and he is the main character in the historical section. He is the great king of Israel, and they loved King David. He established the nation. He led a renewal of both political and spiritual time among the nation of Israel. And right before King David died, God came to him and made a promise to him. And here's what he said. From you will come one whose kingdom will never end, that he will have a rule and a reign, and he will be a king in your lineage, and his kingdom will never end. And this became known as the messianic promise that a great king would rise up and he would rule a kingdom with no end. Problem is, is all of King David's kids, well, they destroyed the nation of Israel. That the kids, they didn't follow the Lord. They began to trust in false gods. They didn't lead in holiness. They led in unholiness. They didn't trust the Lord. Well, they began to trust false gods. And eventually what happened is the kingdom of Israel was divided into And then other nations came in and conquered them. And they brought them into what is known as exile and into slavery. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people were oppressed. They were discarded. They were discriminated. And they were persecuted. And they lived as slaves in other nations. And that led all the way up until the time we read today, whenever they're under the Roman Empire. They still do not have a king. For them, Caesar is their king. And he is a wicked king. And he oppresses them, and he won't allow them to worship, and he won't allow them to pursue holiness and righteousness on their own. And they are under the oppression of Rome, and they are crying out, someone save us, someone deliver us. And then Jesus rides in, and they sing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is one who comes with the kingdom of our father, David, the Messiah, is here. And they begin to worship him. But here is the problem, is that Jesus was not the king that they expected. See, for them, they thought the Messiah was going to come in, and he was going to be a political leader. But Jesus didn't come to bring a political kingdom. He came to bring a spiritual kingdom. That Jesus didn't come to be president. Jesus came to be king. There is a difference. They thought that he was going to come and bring in an earthly kingdom. He doesn't come to bring an earthly kingdom or a worldly kingdom. He came to set up a heavenly kingdom. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. He came to overthrow our hearts. They thought he was going to be a religious leader, but Jesus fights with the religious leaders because Jesus didn't come to bring religion. Jesus came to bring relationship with his people. They thought he was going to come and he was going to be for one nation, but Jesus comes for all nations and he was not the Messiah that they expected. Some people, they love the idea of a king, but when the king shows up in their life, they don't want that king. Because what we read here is it looks like they're worshiping But as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, what we'll notice is that they were worshiping in word only because some people refuse a king. Here's actually how Mark shows us in Mark 15. Look at this. It says, and Pilate said to them, what shall I do with the man that you call, what's the word? King of the Jews. Some people love the idea of a king, but when the king shows up, they refuse to worship the king. And they cried out, crucify him. I think it's really fascinating that on Sunday, they were saying, Hosanna, save us. And then on Friday, they were saying, kill him. 
Hosanna, Hosanna, crucify, crucify. And he said to them, what evil has he done? And they can't answer him, and they say this. Let's just get a little bit louder. Let's shout a little bit louder. We have no answer, so let's just say it one more time. Crucify him. Crucify, crucify, crucify. Some people worship only with their words, but then they crucify him with their lives. You can worship in word only. Did you know that? That you can worship with your mouth, and you can deny him with your life. You can worship him with your lips, and you can deny him with your life. Because following Jesus is not lip service, it's lifestyle. That's what worship is. Worship is a lifestyle. Do you worship him in word only, or does your life reflect his glory? See, this reminds me of a quote from A.W. Tozer that says this, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. Christians don't tell lies, we sing them. You know that song, I Surrender All? You know that song? We should sing this song, I Surrender Some. Because that's what a lot of people do. We say, oh, I surrender all. You don't. Do you really submit all of your life under the lordship of Jesus? Because if we're honest, we say, Jesus, you can be king of this part of my life, but I don't really want you to be king on this part of my life. Oh, I love you being king on this part of my heart. Oh, but there's these other pieces of my heart that I don't want to give you access to. I surrender some. You can't do that. He is either king of all, or he is not king at all. I mean, some people worship in word only. I'm sure we've met this person. None of you are this person, by the way. But I'm sure we have met this person who on church on Sunday, they're fired up, and I'm there, and I'm ready. I love church. Oh, the sermon was so good, Pastor. Jesus steals a donkey. That was, that was my favorite. Oh, you played my favorite songs. We did that nice Waymaker tag. It was incredible. Jesus, you are so good. Worship on Sunday was great. Well, what about on Monday? I mean, what about on Tuesday? Because if you look at their life, well, they're one way on Sunday, but they're another way on Monday. And Tuesday, because here's the deal, is he's not just king on Sunday. That Jesus didn't come just to be king for a day. Jesus didn't come just to be king on Sunday. Jesus is king every single day. He is king on Sunday. He is king on Monday. He is king on Tuesday and every day because Jesus is king. Do you worship him with your words or do you worship him with your life? Might I suggest to you that worship is not the songs that you sing, it is the life that you live. And the greatest act of worship is not singing, but submitting. Submitting under his lordship, submitting under his rule, submitting under his king, taking off your cloak and saying, Jesus, you're welcome to lead me and to guide me and to rule over my life. That is what true worship is. And they refused to worship. They worshiped with their words, but they denied him with their life. When you look at your life, is Jesus your king? 
Is Jesus king over your life? Is Jesus king over your heart? Is Jesus king over your family? Is Jesus king over your relationships? Is Jesus king over your marriage? Is Jesus king over the way that you work and the classes that you take? Is Jesus king over your schedule and your calendar and your bank account? Is he king over your wallet? Is he king over your internet history? Is he king over the things that you do and the way that you live? Is he Jesus? your king because he's king of all or he is not king at all how many of you are a little convicted right about now that's a good thing do you know why because Jesus is a good king see it's a good thing that we worship Jesus as king because he doesn't come to oppress us or to punish us no 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 He comes to give us life. He comes to say, I know what's best for you. And my my rule and my reign is what's best for you. And I'm, I'm a good king. And so this king, when we sin, he forgives us. This king, when we fail him, he welcomes us. This king, when we make a mistake, he gives us a second chance. This is the king that we worship. And when we come before him and we recognize our need, our worship only grows because we realize how good he truly is. Worship is not the songs that you sing, my friends. The greatest act of worship you will ever do is submitting your life and seeing him as your king. Is Jesus your king? Which leads to the last question. Do you know the king. Do you trust the king? Do you worship the king? And do you know the king? Listen how the story ends. We got one more verse. And he entered into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late. Then he went to Bethany with the 12. That's a rather anticlimactic ending, isn't it? I mean, you have the disciples stealing a donkey. (laughs) Jesus riding in cloaks and palm branches, people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then everybody just goes home. Day's over, day's done, but Jesus is not done. Jesus has one more thing he wants to do, and so he walks into the temple. It's already late, and there's nobody there. So he goes home. It's pretty anticlimactic. But this is actually not anticlimactic, and this is not the end of the triumphal entry. This is actually the beginning of the triumphant victory of Jesus. So he walks into the temple, and you notice this? It's empty. Do you know why? Because they had life on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. The temple is the center of religious activity, and that's what religious people are. They're very active on the outside, but on the inside, they're empty. And this is the way many people are, that on the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside, they're empty. Do you know why? Because Jesus is not their king, and they don't know Jesus as king, because if they did, then their hearts would be filled with his glory, and they would not be empty. See, on the inside, they were empty, and Jesus walks in, and he says, these people need a king, and they don't know me as their king. And this begins the triumphal entry. This does not end the triumphal entry, my friends. 
Because for the next six chapters, Jesus is going to be flipping over tables. He's going to be yelling at Pharisees. He is going to be preaching. He's going to be teaching. He's going to be arrested, tried, crucified. And then three days later, he will resurrect. And that is when Jesus shows himself in the full glory of him being our king. But they missed it the first time. They didn't recognize it. They didn't see it the first time. And here was what Jesus actually says here. As the temple is empty, he pronounces actually a form of judgment over him. Because here's what he says. It was already late. Their hearts were empty, but more than that, their hearts were already hard. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to hear it. And they didn't want to know Jesus is their king. And Jesus says, be a lot better if you knew me now, because when I come back, it's not going to be the same. See, many of us, we read this, and we, we see Jesus, but we don't really see Jesus. Because the first time Jesus comes in the triumphal entry, well, Jesus, he comes in on a donkey. But the next time Jesus comes back, he will not be on a donkey. He will be a horse. And this is how it starts. It starts with the triumphal entry, but it ends with the triumphal victory. If you want to know how the story really ends, then you got to read the book of Revelation. Because here's how Revelation describes that day. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. Who is that? That is our king. That is King Jesus and his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed and robed and dipped with blood, and by the name he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven are arrayed with fine linen, white and pure, and they were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. He will rule. It's not a matter of if he will rule. It is when he will rule. It's not a matter of do you believe he will rule because he will rule. Jesus Christ is king. He will rule. He will reign. He will conquer, and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What is his name? King of kings and Lord of lords. The triumphal entry ends with a triumphant victory that Jesus is victorious over Satan. Jesus is victorious over sin. Jesus is victorious over demons. Jesus is victorious over death. Jesus is victorious over disease. Jesus is victorious over hell. Jesus is victorious over the grave. Jesus is victorious over insecurities and fear. Jesus is victorious of anything and everything because Jesus and Jesus alone is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Jesus is king. And they missed it. And it was too late for them. And if you're here today, do not miss him. Some of you, you're here and you're not a Christian. You miss the king 
But there's still time. It's not too late for you. The king is still calling you. The king is still inviting you. The king is still saying, join me and join my kingdom. Let me rule. Let me reign. Let me fill your heart with my presence. Join me in this kingdom because I have great plans for you. I have a way for you. I will love you. I will bless you. I will serve you. And I will be your king. It was too late for them. But if you're here today, Do not resist and do not refuse. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Rejoice and join your great king. Join the kingdom of God. And make that decision today. And do not wait until it's too late because you're never guaranteed tomorrow. And you don't know when the king is coming. And you don't know how much time is on the clock. And you don't know. So don't wait until it's too late. Make the decision today. Today is the day of salvation because tomorrow our king, he comes. Listen to how this works. Today you see Jesus meek but tomorrow when Jesus comes back and we do not know when that day is coming but friends hear me on this that day will come and we do not know when so do not gamble and hedge your bets against the king here's how it ends today Jesus comes And he dies for sin. But on that day, Jesus will defeat sin. Today, Jesus comes to forgive sin. But on that day, he comes and he will destroy sin. Today, he comes on a donkey. But on that day, he will come on a white horse. Today he comes in meekness, but tomorrow he will come as a warrior. Today he comes as a servant, but on that day he will come as a soldier. Today he comes to save, but on that day he will judge. Today he comes with love and grace and mercy, but on that day there will be wrath. Today he comes to gather his disciples, but on that day he will come with an army of angels. Today he comes with an open hand and an open invite, but on that day he will come with an iron fist to rule today he comes to bring you peace but on that day he will come and he will bring war today he comes wearing a crown of thorns but on that day he will have a crown with many crowns with fire in his eyes a sword in his mouth with tattoo down his leg drenched in blood that says lord of lords and king of kings and on that day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus Christ is king. The question is, is he your king? Do you trust the king? Do you worship this king? Do you know this king? Is Jesus your king? Or like the crowd, are you fascinated by the idea of a king while refusing to be ruled by a king? Is Jesus your king? And might I just encourage you with this? Jesus is a good king. He is a good king that has good for you and that welcomes you into this great kingdom. Today, Jesus wants to be your king. Will you welcome him? Will you serve him? Will you worship him? 
Will you surrender your life to Jesus as your king? Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh!